Tengistok, I'd like to take you along with me on my journey from biology to anthropology and how I try to make sense of it all. Um, I will mainly present quantitative data and graphs. Um, it won't be so much about ethnography, but I'll share with you uh, what I've learned from in-depth interview with key informants. But you know, some of you know much more than me about Ethiopia, but I hope you learned something anyway. So the, the big question this talk relates to is the spread of low fertility. So on this slide, you can see two maps uh, depicting the mean fertility rate across different human populations and over time. This is in 1800 and in 2009. And as you can see, over the last 200 years or so, there's been a sharp decline in, in the size of the ball. The size of the ball is the mean fertility rate. Um, it has happened at different time and at different pace. First in Europe, and it was quite uh, slow, it took 200 years. Uh, and then in uh, developing countries, much more recently, much more rapidly. And it's still undergoing in sub-Saharan Europe. So it happened at different time, at different pace. Um, and so the question um, remains, why, why this low fertility spread? So in the talk, I'll first um, review with you for 15 minutes or so the different theoretical perspectives on why low fertility is spread. Uh, and then we'll talk about Ethiopia, the general context, and then a specific study in the RC region. Right, so why do we need theory? Here we need theory because we want to make predictions. For instance, we want to make predictions about uh, human population growth. And this is important for um, economic development, political stability, resource distribution, and so forth. So this is a quite recent paper in Nature uh, about the United Nations projection for the size of the population, human population, uh, at the end of the century, 10 billion. But this uh, author uh, uh, points out that actually the prediction change almost every year, are kind of inaccurate, and this is based, according to him, uh, this is because uh, the assumptions are dubious. So he says that the key questions are how fast and how far fertility will fall, and that small variation in fertility can produce major differences in the size of populations over the long run. And that's why, as we know in anthropology, the assumptions spring to the, the projection are so crucial. Since the 1950s, <clears throat> there's been a lot of debate among demographers, sociologists, economists uh, regarding what kind of assumptions we should have in, in those models. So we'll, we'll review first briefly the demographic model. Um, so in the 1950s, traditional demographic um, transition theory focuses on the role of uh, development, uh, socioeconomic factors and development. So um, the idea that the cost of children rise the, the participation of children to economic production decreases, the rise of uh, individualism, uh, more technologies. And so we expect uh, a correlation between development and uh, fertility. But it doesn't explain everything. Uh, let's have a look at the relationship between income per person across different countries and uh, fertility rate. The size of the ball is the size of the population. So, well, there's a negative relationship, but there's also a lot of variation that is not explained. If you look at um, uh, within continents, if you compare Namibia and Angola, for instance, 
uh, for the same income per person, uh, fertility vary from three to six. And same here, if we compare Congo and Angola, they have the mean fertility rates, but uh, very different income per person. So those models have been criticized for not considering um, institutional factors and, and social factors. Then we had the second wave of models, diffusion models, uh, ideation and theory, um, which are all about uh, the spread of ideas, attitudes about small families. And this comes from, uh, maybe you've heard of it, the, the, the Princeton project, the big project on the European demographic transition. And um, they've seen that in Europe, uh, similar regions speaking the same language, for instance, uh, began their fertility decline at more or less the same time, while the level of development was different. So there was a, a role of culture there. Um, problem is there is that we see at the macro level, so we don't really know what happens at the uh, micro level, how those group norms um, emerge. So quite uh, different views, and uh, in 1994, some artists decided that demographic uh, theory was near this. So let's, let's view now the evolutionary perspective. Okay, so first, for evolutionary scholars, the demographic transition is a puzzle. Um, if resource increase, why does fertility decrease? It's not really what is expected. Um, Malthusian model, if resources increase, uh, fertility should increase as well. And this has been coined the, the, the central theoretical problem of sociobiology. So what have people done then? Well, they look at, well, maybe it's adaptive. Maybe actually low fertility is adaptive. If it's adaptive, that's what we should expect. If you have three children, let's say, let's say you have then six grandchildren, so a low family size allows you to have like long-term reproductive success, the number of descendants you have. And you'd be better off there than there. Here, five children would lead to less grandchildren. That's, that's the model if that low fertility was adapted. They looked at it. <coughs> Since this is a study based on uh, 7,000 men living in Albuquerque in, in the States. They look at the relationship between the number of children and the number of grandchildren. Basically, this is not what happened. This is not adaptive. If you want, the, the, the best predictor of long-term reproductive success is the number of children you have. More children, more grandchildren. So, all right, it's not adaptive. So, that would argue that actually it's really not the most interesting question to ask. Um, some might also argue that, well, we don't have enough generation there, so we can't really look at what happens because evolution takes place in like a large number of generations. This has been uh, replicated actually by another study using four generations and still low fertility uh, with the number of children lead to a low number of grand-grand-grandchildren. So it's not the best question to ask in particular because it doesn't tell us anything about how people respond to their environment. So another way to look at it is to make a distinction between adaptive and evolved. So adaptive is whether or not behavior now leads to long-term reproductive success. Evolved, it doesn't matter whether it's adaptive now, it's uh, how evolved would be how cognitive processes have been shaped across evolutionary history by environmental factors, be they social or biological. So we can rephrase the question, what environmental selective pressures have shaped cognitive processes 
and what environmental cues uh, individuals respond to. The, the idea here is still an environment with psychology. So we have then two types of model, a bit like in demography, uh, the social and the individual, not surprising. So the first type of model in cultural evolution theory um, um, posit that low fertility uh, is the uh, result of A, cognitive processes selected for imitation, and B, changing patterns of social influence. So humans are very good at imitation. Uh, uh, human children over-imitate, for instance. It's not the case in other species, such as chimpanzees. Uh, and we learn from others, we conform, and we also copy successful and knowledgeable individuals or prestige buyers. <clears throat> so now, if people uh, delay reproduction to achieve wealth and status, then copying the wealthiest could lead to the spread of low fertility levels. And this may explain what happened during the, the European demographic transition because the wealthy were the first to start uh, fertility decline. This is based, this model is largely based on the um, diffusion of innovation framework which has been developed by um, Alan Rogers for the spread of agricultural innovation. So di diffusion means uh, a spread of ideas among different members of a social system. And um, an innovation is yeah, an idea, an attitude, behavior. It doesn't have to be a technology. And here's the rate of adoption across time. So at the beginning, we don't have many adopters. And then here, here a bit more, and then here we have a sharp uh, increase. And basically, it's, it's because those guys have adopted first and those guys have imitated those early adopters. And in this particular study on agricultural uh, innovation, these early adopters were also called um, opinion leaders. They were wealthier, they were more connected to everyone, they, they were more likely to get information. Okay, so that's, that's this framework where the agent of change is what the early adopters or opinion leaders are doing. Then we have a second module, uh, which, is, which comes from life history theory, which is well developed in biology. And here, uh, low fertility results from a combination of um, evolved disposition to regulate fertility trade-off and changing patterns of sibling competition for parental investment. It's a lot about parental investment, this type of model. So fertility trade-off, the fertility... So it's, it's still here an economic model, like for the demographic model, but it's set up in a, in a, um, a context of constraints uh, between uh, fitness component. So what is a fertility uh, trade-off? I'm going to explain this a bit more. Fertility trade-off is... is is um, a negative relationship between different fitness components of fertility here and child survival, for instance. So this is taken from a, a paper I've been working on with my colleague uh, David Lawson and Mary Gibson, uh, using DHS data on uh, 27 sub-Saharan country. And so we look at the relationship between these two things. It's uh, adjusted for um, a number of things, such as uh, maternal... Um, age, wealth, education, uh, uh, mother's height as well. So it's, it's adjusted. Um, and so you, you can see a negative relationship. The, the firstborn always have an increased risk of uh, mortality as compared to the, 
the second born, but basically you have, I don't know, whatever you have a negative relationship. But this trade-off, the strength of it, the, 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 the slope, whether it's really strong or not, depends on the environment, depends on the West, depends on a lot of things. So we look at how this trade-off changes across uh, different environments. So here you have all the uh, different uh, 27 countries, and here you have the strengths of the trade-off. So, so here, for instance, um, the impact of fertility on child survival is not as strong as here. Here the impact of fertility on child survival is much stronger. And here you have different environments in terms of probability of child survival or risk of child mortality. So here, you're less likely, if you're born here in Zimbabwe from a, from a mother there, you're less likely to die, say, from hunger or disease than you are here. So what this means, generally, is that whenever the uh, risk of mortality decreases, um, mortality as determined by the environment decreases, and the trade-off between fertility and child survival is stronger. I can rephrase that and say that if children, I mean, in this context, you can invest, say, as much as you want, but children are going to die from other factors anyway, so it doesn't have so much impact. While here, investment can be translated into improved child health and maybe reproductive success, say. So different, stra- different strengths of trade-off in different environments. Okay, so those are the two uh, general frameworks that usually presented as alternative for explaining the origin of the spread of low fertility. Um, I'm going to use them, so I'm going to investigate the extent to which this is the case, whether they're alternative really, but I'll be using this as a, a, an initial framework, uh, and I hope to show that various processes can actually be at play. And I'll be looking at the adoption of conception in Ethiopia. So now uh, let's talk about Ethiopia a bit more. <coughs> Why it would be a um, good context to look at the early spread or the early uh, adoption of conception. So child mortality here across time and child fertility here across time have decreased uh, recently. So they're starting the demographic transition. Mortality has decreased actually before then fertility. So that has led to a big population growth. Um, to give you an idea, in 1975, the population was 25 million. Now it's nearly 90 million. So there's kind of a problem for resources. Uh, and contraceptive prevalence is um, low and um, appears to proceed slowly. So here's the contraceptive prevalence in different continents. In 1960 in black and in 1990 in grey. So everywhere there's been a sharp increase in, in the use of contraception, except in sub-Saharan Africa, where people do not adopt contraception that much. So <clears throat> why is that? I mean, you can ask two type of questions, why people don't use it, but you can also ask why people do use it, which is more what I'm doing. So the study is in um, yeah, the RC region, but I'd like to talk about the, 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 the government level. So one thing to say maybe is that um, in terms of politics at the parliament, uh, the number of seats for each individual uh, depends on the size of the population of the, the ethnic group. 
So there might not be a big incentive in reducing, in, in implementing policies to reduce family size, because if you reduce family size among the all more, let's say, then you have less seats at the parliament. But there's still been some a big improvement, though, uh, in the access to contraception and information about contraception. Uh, since 1993, there has been uh, family programs and uh, increased incentive. And now, for instance, um, oh, we can't see very well, but there, there are certain thousand villages in the country. Uh, they have trained 26,000 uh, health extension workers. So it means that in each village now, we have two um, women that have been trained uh, for contraception and they live in the village in the pocket they have all contraceptive methods and they can go from house to house and give information and access to contraception. Uh, women can also go to uh, health centres uh, and, and contraception is provided for free. So and this is a, this is a health training centre uh, funded by uh, the Korean government in association with uh, Ethiopia. So there's there's a lot going on in terms of uh, access and information. Uh, there are some um, messages as well, everywhere. So here it's uh, balanced family size with resources. Uh, you can see here the ideal family size that is depicted is two. Uh, actually at the, um, at the population level, the ideal family size for married men is eight and the ideal family size for married women is six. So it doesn't fit very much what's, what's happening. But it's, it's very close to this uh, first demographic model and this um, kind of rational choice theory of balancing resources and family size. There are the type of messages. So here it says, I um, have a child by uh, choice, not by chance. So again, this idea of choice. And she's very um, modernized as well, uh, this idea of uh, autonomy. Um, um, yeah, and choice to have babies. Here again, uh, the idea of family size of two. So that, that's the kind of uh, the messages you can see in the health centres. And then what are the kind of messages? So if you're a woman, you go to the health centre, you're presented with this. <coughs> so those are uh, pills, contraceptive pills. Actually, people don't really um, use that. Uh, then you have a condom. So there's a, there's a problem with the condom is that it's um, strongly associated with HIV. So some informant told us the story of this woman who came to the health center and um, had problems with the method she was using she wanted to change. And they advised her to take condoms home and suggest the husband they might be using this. She came back later and, and told this person that her husband wasn't happy at all about it because... Uh, that was a sign that maybe the woman thought he had HIV. And I was like, no, I don't have HIV, I don't, don't need to use condoms. So condoms are not uh, used very much either. Then here you have uh, implants. Uh, implants is for long contraception, um, more like three to six years. Uh, you have it here in the arm, uh, in between muscles, and that's something that is visible. Uh, so that's a problem. And also, it might change place, so that's a bit worrying as well. You don't really know where it's going. And then here you have IUD, the intrauterine uh, device. So it's in the womb to prevent pregnancy in the womb. 
it's, it's 10 years contraception. And it's problematic as well because if women have sexual relationship when they shouldn't have, uh, pregnancy can take place outside. So that's dangerous. And then you have this, uh, that's injection. Uh, so you don't see anything and with an injection you're covered for uh, three to six months. That's actually the, the preferred method. Here's a register, so uh, you can see the age here, and here are the methods. And you can see depot, 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 depot. Depot is here. So that's the, the, the fa favorite method. Those technology come from the Netherlands. Um, don't know why, but. <clears throat> so, okay, so now let's talk about the study in uh, rural Ethiopia. So, basically, I've worked with uh, Dr. Mary Gibson from Bristol and uh, Professor Gomo in uh, Addis. She's an anthropologist, she's a population health scientist. Um, they have collected the data. I haven't collected the data. Um, but what I did is, so I haven't collected, so I came to UCL, basically the data were there, and uh, I started to analyze them. So I did that, and then after I went to Ethiopia uh, to kind of ask questions around and try to make sense of this quantitative research. That's why you know much more about Ethiopia than energy. But I hope you learned something anyway. So um, data were collected in four uh, villages, uh, so in the um, RC zone, 200 kilometers more or less outside uh, south of Addis. And in this population, people are uh, agro-pastoralists. They follow a traditional lifestyle. Education is not uh, very high. Um, the composition is strongly biased towards um, uh, Muslim people, and um, I mean correlates with the two ethnic groups, the Oromo and the, and the Shoah. And 30 percent of men are polygynously married at that time. It was in 2008 that the data were collected, and so there were data on the first ever use of contraception. So women were asked. When did you first start using contraception? Before which birth and after which birth? Uh, to try to uh, know exactly when. And so that's why it's uh, it's GPS data that that's a map I've uh, created. So you have the four villages. Uh, a dot is a woman. A black dot is a woman who has never used contraception yet. Uh, and a red dot is a woman who has adopted. So you can see there from 1998 to 2008, there's an increase in the amount of red dots, and the prevalence is uh, 20%. Uh, note that all women have heard about it, so it's not really a problem of information or a problem or access either, which is usually what um, behavioral studies focus on. So now here's the question, what create this? Is it that people communicate with each other, there's contagion, or is it that each individual decides on its own that it's going to use contraception, or a combination of the two, more or less? So what kind of data do we have? We have uh, several types of data, so birth history, um, the date of birth of each child, and whether they died or not, interbirth interval, uh, level of education, in terms of Wealth. Basically, I have data on cattle possession and agricultural production, so I've created some kind of combined measure. 
I know if people are um, Muslims or Christian Orthodox, I also know whether they listen to the radio a lot, because there are messages on the radio, a pro-fertility pro decline. Uh, then I have data on networks. So previous studies on um, the adoption of contraception in networks, usually the question they ask is, with whom do you talk to about contraception? You kind, of, uh, you kind of have the answer in your question. Obviously, you're going to find social transmission. You're asking them, who do you talk to about contraception? Uh, so it doesn't reflect uh, really social influence when you, have, you copy other uh, people, let's say. Uh, so here we use spatial network and friendship network. But we know that women do talk about contraception um, in the spatial and, and friendship network. So here, um, well... Those are the kind of house, they're quite spread apart. And here I've calculated the minimum distance of a woman to an innovator. Then I have friendship network. So that's 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 friendship network. The red dot again, the woman using it. It's in, it's in uh, 2008. So here I can look at several, several variables. Uh, I've calculated centrality of women. So how many times a woman has been cited as a friend? So yeah, here the question was, uh, with whom do you like to talk to about anything? Who do you like to spend time with? So if you cite it a lot, you have a big uh, in degree, and it's usually taken in other studies as being the mark of being an opinion leader. Uh, then I've also looked at the proportion of users in the network. So I have longitudinal data in terms of adoption. So I know if in, so I look at, let's say, in 2004, a woman hasn't adopted yet. I look at her network and whether any woman in this network has adopted it in 2003 already. So that's in fair causality. So I have, here I have, uh, here's the women's network. I won't talk about it too much, but I also have husband's friends network and their wife in case you go through uh, men's channel. Okay, and now this is the analysis. What I want to know is basically what predicts the first ever years of modern contraception uh, and, and what kind of combination of these factors explain variation in the first ever years of modern contraception. So I have three main type of uh, factors. I have individual factors, age, number of children, education, I have what I call social environment, uh, religion, access to radio, and then I have uh, social <coughs> interactions. So as I told you, centrality measures and proportion of users in your network the year before. So what I did is that I used something that is called model comparison and selection. And I'm not going to talk about hypothesis uh, testing or this kind of thing. It's a different, it's a different philosophy. Here, you don't say there is a truth. You say there are several approximating truths, and I'm going to compare them and see how likely each model is. And, and this is considering the set of models I'm writing here, meaning that I don't know anything about models I haven't thought about, obviously. So within those type of models, what is the most likely? So I've created several types of modules. So the first is null model. It means nothing happens. There's nothing. 
This module says it's only, it's only about individual characteristics, nothing else. This one says it's only about religion and radio. This one says it's only about social interaction. And then I have different combinations. This one says there is social transmission, but only if um, women have a lot of children in the first place, let's say. So an interaction between individual characteristics and social interaction. So I've made, in total, I've made 30 models. And then I've compared them, so I, I won't go into detail, you can ask me later, but I've compared them using a, a, a criteria um, called ARC, but whatever. It's the, the, they compete with each other. So this one has a lot of weight. We, call it, we use weight. Uh, this one is not very likely, let's say. This one is quite likely as well. So that's, that's the message. So let's, let's look at the result, and don't be afraid, I'll, I'll help you through it. Um, <laughs> don't, don't worry about it. Um, here are all the models, so individual factors, social environment, all the different combinations. So here you don't need to worry about that. You can look at the weight here. In total, all the models, in total the weight is one. So the, the first thing to see there is all the models that had only one set of factors do not show up. Their weight is zero, unlikely to account for anything. What I need is to put individual factor and social environment together. Each time I do that, I end up in the 95% uh, you know, zone. I mean, it, it, each time, those models show up. So this is really important. <coughs> That's not really surprising, really. And then the last thing that it says is, if I add to my model social interaction, it doesn't improve my understanding of the data. I don't end up being on the top. Still, this one I mean, is even a, a bit more likely than all those ones. So it seems that here, the role to person-person interaction through the specific networks uh, is marginal. So there's another way to view that, that uh, the interactions are not so important. Here is the number of women who adopts contraception while in the network, nobody is using it. So they're the first in their friendship network. They're innovators related to the friendship network. So I had 900 women, um, 171 in total in the end adopted. You can see that most of them adopt while nobody else is adopting at that time. The other um, thing that I've found is that opinion leaders, or those women who are really central, do not adopt contraception more than others at all. Uh, so here is disconnected early adopters' opinion leaders. It's not, it's not the same thing. That may have an impact for why, um, obviously, fertility decline doesn't spread. Okay, so it doesn't mean that social interaction or social transmission doesn't matter. Those are people I've been talking to, the health extension workers, uh, and uh, those work in health uh, centre, uh, they're Muslim or um, uh, Christian Orthodox, and there is some sort of social transmission, but it's mainly about, according to what they say, uh, about the method first, what type of method are you going to use, um, and it's also about the, the cost of contraception. So the biggest problem really is that um, when women use contraception and uh, the injection, uh, they have uncontrolled bleeding. Uh, 
it's not like here. And this is a problem for them because then they're not sexually available to their husband. And then the husband may say, well, I'm going to take another wife then if you can't be available. That's what all those people said. So women are not really comfortable. They use contraception in the first place, but then they discontinue it because they have all sorts of problems with this, um, with this unpredicted bleeding. And this is probably mainly due to the fact that nutrition is not um, very good, and so this has an impact on hormone levels. And so it's, it's, not, it's not only in Ethiopia and in other, other sub-Saharan African populations as well. When, they, when women use contraception, uh, the, the, the effect is too strong. It, it just reduces entirely the probability of conception, and there are all sorts of side effects. So there's social transmission on this uh, type of issues. Now, another important result is the difference between um, Muslim and Christian Orthodox. So here is the risk. It's called the risk. It's not because it's a bad thing. It's just because it's a conditional probability. Uh, so here is the risk of adoption uh, since conception has been introduced. Over time, uh, the uh, women who are Muslim are more likely to adopt conception than women who are Orthodox. So two times more. So why is that is still uh, unclear. Uh, I didn't have any clear answer about this. But I can tell you first that religious leaders are not against contraception. I mean, they're not against stopping familicides. Uh, uh, no, sorry, they're against stopping familicides, but they're not against uh, increasing birth interval. So it's okay to use contraception if you space birth, but it's not okay if it's to stop familicides, because then it's against uh, God's will. Then for the difference between Muslim and Orthodox, um, they have suggested that some men, actually, when they have a lot, a lot of children and they want their wife to adopt contraception, so the ideal uh, uh, family size for married men is eight. Some of the polygynous men may have more children than that. And then combined with uh, uh, resource scarcity, may be more inclined to allow their women to use modern contraception. Uh, the, these men were... Uh, uh, they were experts, they were practitioners, they've been working in villages for 30 years, going from house to house uh, and talking to a lot of uh, people. They were very exciting, excited about talking uh, uh, about the adoption of contraception. And that's issue too, that's uh, my colleague when we were talking to them. So this leads us to the, the role of the number of children. So here, again, there is the other conception depending on uh, when, across time. Uh, and you can see that um, first, when you don't have any children, that's the red line. Women are not likely to adopt conception in this context. And this is likely to be due to the fact that uh, the elders, who are invisible leaders, uh, after the marriage, they want women to have at least one child. Uh, it's been said as well that you have to pay the bridal wealth back otherwise. Uh, so having one child at least is very important for both groups, uh, the husbands and wives groups. However, when you have ten children, the probability is much, much higher. 
there's something to do with this number of kids. This is not really in here, as we kind of know it. Um, now my question is, is it that this, what do they do? Do they stop family size, or do they increase interbus intergroup? Um, so let's look at what happens with interbus intergroup. Uh, that's so that's the length of interbirth interval. This is one year, two years, three years, four years between births. And this is the number, the size of the, the height of the bar tells you about the number of people. Uh, I mean, no, the number of births that are of one year interval, two years, three years, and four years. So that's before the adoption of contraception. And that's after. So you can see that the, the, the one year interbirth interval disappear here. Two years into birth interval decreases, the three years increases, and the four years increases. So here, uh, the fact that there aren't any one-year interbirth interval is, is a good idea in the sense that um, actually one-year interbirth interval is associated with an increased risk of child mortality before one. That's something we know as well. Um, very short interbirth interval below two years are usually associated with increased uh, risk of child mortality. Okay, so women use contraception to increase uh, interbirth interval, and maybe they do it uh, to uh, increase child survival. So this has led some people to argue that then maybe the very early spread of contraception is a strategic adaptive decision. Uh, and there's this study showing that among um, uh, menopausal, maybe, menopause, menopausal women, um, women who have ever adopted contraception have a much higher reproductive success, not much higher, higher reproductive success, a higher number of surviving offspring than the women who do not use contraception which was surprising. But there's a problem with this, which is that maybe women are different in the first place. Users and non-users are different in the first place. Maybe those women who use contraception uh, actually have a higher fertility in the first place. That's why when you find their menopausal, you find that they have a higher number of children. So I've been looking at this, whether women were different in the first place in terms of fertility and child survival. So I've, I've compared the, um, the risk of reproduction and the risk of child mortality between non-never users and users, but before they adopt contraception, so that it's not due to the effect of contraception at all. And you can see that uh, in red, they are the future users. In red, well, you can see that they're more likely to reproduce at any given time and child mortality is lower. So there's a kind of superwoman where they have more babies and uh, they are more likely to survive as well. So there's not so much a, a cost in terms of uh, child um, survival. It doesn't mean that uh, women do not use it to improve child survival, but um, there's not so much a cost in terms of that. However, there might be sibling competition on other traits, such as health, child health, child nutritional status, and, um, and education as well. Uh, other studies by Mary found that uh, 
sibling competition for education was rising in the country and was becoming stronger. So here you, you can look at the probability for a child to attend school depending on whether his mother um, is never user or a non-user. And uh, when your mother is going to use contraception or is using contraception, you're more likely to go to school. So obviously those women are more likely to be educated as well. But of taking this into account, remove the part of violation that is explained by that. Uh, I don't know whether it's the effect of contraception, I don't know. Uh, I don't know before and after. But it's still the case that um, children are more likely to go to school when they women use contraception. So, going to sum up now. Um, that here, perceptive is used to increase interpersonal rather than to delay or stop. Uh, reproduction, and that's in accordance with opinion leaders. Uh, usually, it's, it's, it's frame has always been opposed, but in this context, it's not opposed. Uh, the role of person-person interaction through friendship and spatial network is marginal in the, for the spread. Um, opinion leaders are not more likely to adopt contraception, so maybe it's important in the sense that it, it blocks the spread. It's possible. Uh, but it doesn't really explain. I mean, it doesn't really explain the, the origin of the spread of fertility. There are intrinsic differences between women, and um, we may think uh, of contraception as a form of parental investment. So, uh, before in the, in the demographic model, it was very much about wealth flow between parents and children, but more from children to parents. The, those type of models. Um, rephrase that in terms of transfer of wealth from parents to children and sibling competition. Uh, this ha may have an impact on the type of social transmission. Women who want to adopt it in the first place might then go out and ask around about the costs of using contraception, the benefit, how it works, and get information. All of this is about the origin. Uh, I can't say anything about uh, maintenance of low fertility or later spread. But I can come back to discuss to continuation and these big hormonal side effects. Um, that this, yeah, this hormonal side effects, um, this uh, clearly is a problem um, for the maintenance of the traits. So this is the end, but I'd like to uh, uh, acknowledge my collaborators and, and we have another model in biological anthropology, we publish things all together uh, so I've worked with all of them and uh, obviously the people who uh, reply to all those questions and uh, uh, the field too that's it, thank you very much